You could have went anywhere this morning, but you decided to come here. And though a lot of people would tell you you're crazy for doing so, the crazy people here are glad that you decided to join us this morning. We love the Lord. We love the Word of God. We love you. And we're praying this morning that the Word would impact your life, that you would hear it, that you would apply it, and that you would see God move in your life. That's His will for you. Amen? God didn't get you here today just to come and consume and listen. He came, he brought you here so that you would hear it and apply it. His own brother, James, said it this way. If you hear it, but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. All over America this morning, Christians are going to meet. They're going to come to church. They're going to sit down. They're going to check off a religious box. They're going to hear the word. They're going to go back to their life and live the same way they did last year. They're deceiving themselves. Don't let that be you today. Whatever God has for you, let's commit. What God, God, what you've got for me today... I'm going to apply it, and I'm going to do it. Amen? At the end of this message, I'm going to go ahead and let you know. At the end of this message, we're going to have a response time. I pray this message challenges you today. This is a challenging word from the Bible this morning. And we're going to invite you to respond to it. And some of you are going to have that conviction on your heart. And you're going to know today's the day that I'm supposed to respond. This is why God brought me here. And you're going to have a thousand reasons in your mind that you can put it off for another week, another month. You can take care of it later, but we want to encourage you this morning. God's ready to do something big in your life, amen? Today's the day to do it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're in a series called Kingdom Come, and the idea behind this series is simply this. We want to compare the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to establish, with the kingdom of the world that we live and breathe every single day. We want to compare these kingdoms, we want to go to God's word and understand what the kingdom of God truly looks like, and then we want to align ourselves with that kingdom, even if it means we have to disalign ourselves from the world's kingdom, amen? We want to do that today. We want to know what God has for us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us a story. He tells us a story that is referring to the end times that he starts talking about in Matthew 24. If you've ever studied end time theology, if you've ever looked at what happens in the book of Revelation, you truly can't understand it if you don't understand Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about what the last days of the earth's kingdom and the full coming of the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. You see, church, Jesus taught that though we live in the world today, we're not really of the world. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you live here, but this isn't really your home. And one day, Jesus is going to stand up, he's going to look down, and his father is going to tell him, today's the day, out with the old kingdom, in with the new. And what remains of this world's kingdom is going to pass away, and Jesus is going to come finish what he began at the cross. He's going to finish in us what he began at our salvation. And he's going to finish the judgment that has been building up against the sin in the world's kingdom. And church, I want to be on the right side of that, don't you? I don't want to be surprised and shocked and worried and confused when that day comes. If that comes in my lifetime, I want to hear the trumpet and I want to be ready. I want to know what's coming. You see, we have in God's word sort of the study guide to the test. You've heard this morning a little bit about Life Academy. For you visitors, Life Academy is a, it's sort of a quasi-homeschool co-op kind of thing we do here at Eastland Life Church where we partner with families in the community who wish that they were able to homeschool their kids 
but maybe they're not able to because they work and they have responsibilities outside the home that keeps them from being able to be home with their kids all day homeschooling them. So these families bring their children to us. They're here during the day. We tutor them. We help teach them the word of God and we help teach them academics and then we send them home and their parents can continue that work with them at home. And God's been growing that ministry. But some of the things we do here are pretty traditional in the educational sense. We do quizzes and tests, and something that we do with the children is we do test them on what they're learning. Now, let me ask you, has anybody ever shown up on test day and looked at the test and figured out that you did not study the right things? Anybody ever been there? You look at that test, and you were expecting true-false, and instead, it's paragraph form. Tell me all about this in 12 sentences or less, and you were thinking it was going to be true-false. Oh boy. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Charlie, she's 10 years old. She's going on 17. She's very smart. She's 11 now. Praise God. I'm going to start coming to her birthday parties when I'm not so busy, okay? She's not in here today, so if you all will help me out and not tell her that I messed her age up, I would appreciate that. Will you do that for me? All right. Hey, I'm going to ask y'all to repent. I'm going to repent too, all right? She's 11 years old, going on 18 now. She's very, very smart. One of the things I love about Life Academy is that if a child is blowing through their work too easy, we can just stick them with the older kids, challenge them, push them. And that's what we've done with Charlie. And she came home the other day, and she had taken an English test. It was English, right? She had made a 77, and that was a little low for her. And I said, Charlie, you speak English. How would you make a 77 on an English test? And she said, well, I studied, but what I studied wasn't what the test was over. And I said, well, didn't you get a study guide? And she said, yeah, but I, I lost my study guide. I said, so what did you study? She said, I don't know. <laughs> That's why you failed your test. You studied, you knew some things, but what you knew was not what was on that test. See, I think in America today, there's a lot of Christians who fill up churches every weekend. And they know a lot of things, but what they know is not preparing them for the test they're going to take one day. And that might be you today. You might know who Jesus is in your head. You might have some knowledge of what the Bible teaches. But one day, the test you're going to be given when you face Almighty God at the end of the days of this old kingdom, you don't want to find yourself surprised that what you studied is not what you're being tested on. And in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us a study guide for what the end of the kingdom is going to look like. And it helps us understand, here's what i got to be ready for. So let's go to the scripture. We're going to be in Matthew 25. We're going to start in verse 14. And we're just going to look at this story that Jesus gives to prepare us for what this kingdom is going to be all about. What we're going to be tested on. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus is speaking, and he says, For it, talking about the kingdom will be like a man who's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. This master, this man is going to go on a journey and he's going to entrust his servants to his property. And we'll go ahead and just set the story up right now. This story is in the literary form of what we call a parable. It's a story, not necessarily a literally true story, but it is a story that's told that's meant to line up with the truth to help us understand the truth. And Jesus is relating himself to the master of this story. And the servants that we're about to read about represent me and you, Christians, people that have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. We follow the Lord to the best of our ability. He said, in this story, the master is going to go on a long journey, and he's going to entrust his servants to his property. Now, let's think about this. 
when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he stayed with us for a month, two months, something around that time. He appeared to hundreds of people, proving that he was risen from the dead, proving it wasn't a hoax, proving it wasn't a conspiracy. He proved that he was physically risen from the dead. And at the moment that his followers expected him to go ahead and set up the kingdom on earth, right then, he did something that surprised them. He told them that the kingdom wasn't going to come in its fullness just yet. That was for a later date that they weren't to know. But instead, he was going to leave and go to prepare a place for us while he entrusted them and us, consequently and historically, we relate to those apostles if you're Christians today. He was entrusting us to his property. He told them, in a few days, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have power that you don't have right now. You're going to have the same power that I've got. The power that brought Jesus up out of the grave, the Bible says, is the power that we receive through the Holy Spirit. Amen? And if you're a Christian, you've got it. And Jesus said, when you receive this power, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. He said, you're going to have a responsibility when you receive this power. And it's going to be your job to fulfill your responsibility. And one day I'm coming back, but he promised him, I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. And he left. And today he's on that journey. Now we know today that he is seated at the right hand of God. The Bible says that today in heaven Jesus is preparing a place for us. But we on earth have been given the Holy Spirit if we've received him as our Savior. Amen? If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've been entrusted with his property. And we have a job to do. We have a job to do. And I want to point something out from verse 14. It says that Jesus was talking to his servants. Was he talking to somebody else's servants? Was he talking to free people that were just walking down the street and he grabs them and says, hey, i got a job for you guys, I want you to do this. No, no. He was talking to his servants. These were servants that belonged to him. They were his servants. And he entrusted them with his property. And what this means is that when we look at this story, we must remember that because it's his servants and it's his property, that we are regulated not by what I want out of life, but by his will and his expectations for what he wants. That's what my life is all about. Is that what your life is about today? There's a lot of Christians in the world who live something like this. Jesus, my life's a mess. I need you to save me. I got unforgiven sin in my life that's weighing me down and messing me up. God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. Jesus Christ, you're my Lord. I get baptized. I get dunked in the water. I come back out. Hallelujah, I'm free. And now I get to live the life that I want to live. And I'm going to do it my way, but I'm going to have Jesus helping me out along the way. But ultimately, now that I'm free, I'm free to do me. And a lot of Christians live that way. And sometimes when you remind them, like, hey, like you, you do know that the Bible teaches that our life is not our own. We were bought with a price, therefore we glorify God in our bodies. That can be offensive because, well, wait, I thought salvation was free. I didn't think I had to work for my salvation. I didn't think I had to earn what Jesus did for me. Absolutely that's true. We could never earn the grace of God, but the grace of God will produce a life of faithfulness in us. If you've been saved by Jesus, if you've been set free by Jesus, that does not mean that you are free to live however you want to live and nobody can do anything about it. If you've been set free by Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2 says you were saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand. Did you know today that when he created you, he had your job in mind? 
See, we often talk about Christianity being about a relationship, and that's true, but it's not just about a relationship. It's about a relationship that works itself out in obedience and in work in the kingdom. You see, God didn't just save you to be in relationship with you. Oh, he did that, but that's not all. He saved you to empower you to do things in his kingdom that you could never do without him. You could never do it without him. It's his will, and it's his expectation. Now, let's look at how this plays out. In verse 15, it says, To one of these servants... He gave five talents. We're going to learn about three servants today. To one of them, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, he gave one talent, each according to his own ability. That's very important. He gave one of the servants five, one of them two, and the last one one according to his own ability. And these talents are not referring to talents the way we think. You see, I know this morning that some of us in this room are very talented. I also know that some of us are not talented in the same way others are talented. Let me give you an example. Joey is a bad singer. I've heard it. It's bad. It's borderline offensive. He should not sing up here. He should sing out there, but he should do it with people distanced around him to give a buffer for your good. Okay? He's not talented in that way, but he is talented in a way when it comes to evangelism. He's gifted to reach people. God's given him influence. God's given him charisma that not everybody has. It's unique to him. God's gifted him in that way. God may not have gifted you in that way. You see, God has gifted each of us individually, and we're not talking about talents today in the traditional sense of I can sing or I can do public speaking or I'm athletic or anything like that. These talents were actually units of currency in the world in which this was being written. You see, this was literally money that was being given to these men according to their ability to manage it. And in fact, a talent, depending on which historian you ask, and we've got all different opinions, but it's pretty much thought that a talent equaled 15 years of daily labor for the average worker. A talent was about 15 years. So when the master gave the first servant five talents, he was giving him basically a lifetime's worth of work. In money, he was handing that to him. He said, 65 years worth of wealth right here. I need you to manage this for me. He was able to handle it. To the one he gave two talents to, he was given about 30 years worth of labor to. He says, hey, here's 30 years worth of my labor, worth of property, worth of money. I need you to manage this for me. I need you to grow this for me. And to the one talent person, he gave 15 years worth of labor. He said, hey, 15 years worth, here it is. I need you to manage this for me. I need you to grow this for me. These talents are not simply money. They are referencing resources in the kingdom. Let me illustrate. How many of you were blessed this morning? Raise your hand. If you were blessed this morning to grow up in a... You don't even know what I'm going to ask yet. <laughs> I was going to ask how many of you are willing to tithe 40%. So if your hand went up, I want you to see Pastor Brian after service. All right. How many of you grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents who raised you right? Put your hand. Okay, about, I'd say about a third of the room. Chris, I'm glad your hand's up. How many of you grew up in homes that were a little broken and you didn't necessarily get that biblical education growing up like some of those other people did? Anybody willing to say, you know what, my home wasn't always like that. I didn't grow up with all that. About a fourth of the room, and I'm going to bet that the other third or fourth of you, maybe it was real bad and you don't want to talk about it. You see, we didn't all grow up with the same opportunities. We weren't all blessed with the same abilities. We don't all come from equal circumstances. But here's what I want us to see from this story today. God did not lay five talents on each of us 
God does not have expectations on each of us that we will all be as good as the next person. You don't have to be Pastor Brian today. God isn't asking you to do what you can't do. He's empowering you to do what you can do through him. You understand the difference? You see, you may hear this message today and think to yourself, you know what? I'll never be good enough. I'll never be gifted enough. I'll never be able to do what God wants me to do. I simply don't have the resources. I don't have the opportunities. I can never do what Carissa or Tim or Ryan or Pastor Brian do. I could never do that. Understand this morning, God did not create you to do what they do. He created them to do what they do. He created you to do what you can do. And perhaps you don't yet know what you can do. God isn't asking for the impossible out of you. He can do the impossible through you. It's his power, not yours. What he's asking for is obedience. He's asking you to do what you can do. Let's continue the scripture. It says that he who had received the five talents went at once. How long did he wait to go? He didn't. He went at once. We don't wait to start ministering. Amen? If you're saved, don't put it off. Get to work. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. You see, what we find in this story is that the money that was given to these people, they began to invest it. Any savvy investors in the room today? Anybody confident in the markets? Okay, yeah, I didn't figure. Neither am I. I, um, I made a, an investment decision a few months ago. I haven't told my wife about this, so this is going to be her first time hearing it. I made a really smart investing decision because I heard an advertisement on a podcast that said, hey, you need to do this. And I put money into it. I'm not going to tell you how much money, not a huge amount of money, but a little bit of money. I put some money into it because this was a smart thing to do. The markets are volatile. You need to invest this money in this safe investment, and it has cut itself in half in two months. <laughs> I am now getting half of what I had before if I had just buried it under the mattress. I don't trust myself to invest wisely. I don't. I don't know it well enough. If I put money into a stock, it will drop in value. This is how it goes if I try to invest. So what I like to do is just kind of hang on to what I got, or even better yet, I'll spend it on dumb stuff I don't need. Amen? It's kind of what I tend to do with my resources. But it's even more risky when it's somebody else's money. If somebody comes to you and says, Jerry, here's 65 years worth of work that I did. I want you to take this and I want you to double it for me. That's a risky proposition. That's a risky proposition, but that's what these men did. They were entrusted with all this money. The one who had been given five talents, he goes out, starts trading, starts investing, starts doing business, and he ends up with five more. Now he's got ten. The one who received two does the same thing. Now he's got four. I want to remind us this morning that doing ministry is not a risky proposition in the same way investing in the world's kingdom and in the markets is. Because when we are obedient to God, he is the one that makes sure it always works. It's different than the world sees it. You can go out in the world and do your best and fail. You can have all the right intentions and the right plans, and you can blow it because of things you can't control. But when you do ministry in the name of Jesus, the Bible says whatever we ask in his name, he'll give us. It's what your Bible says. Isaiah 55, 11 says it like this, the word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that for which I sent it. When God sends us and we are obedient, it will always work. Amen? When God calls you to something and that voice whispers in your ear and says, although others have succeeded, you're going to fail, that's the voice of the enemy. He's afraid of your obedience because he knows when you're obedient to God's purpose, God will make sure it works. These men succeeded not because of their gifting, but because they were servants of the master. That's why they succeeded. 
verse 18, we find that the third servant wasn't approaching this quite the same way. It says, he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. He didn't invest it, he hid it. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward. He brought five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. In verse 22, we see the exact same thing happen with the two-talent servant. He brings two more. Master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. You'll receive much. Enter into the joy of your master. And there's four things I want to point out here, and I've got to go through them quickly because I want to make sure we have some time at the end. Number one, four principles that we see in this story so far. Number one, faithful ministry is the key to unlocking your joy. Here's what I know about Metropolis, Illinois. I've lived here for about 10 years now. By and large, this is not a town that most people would characterize as joyful, as celebratory, as anticipatory, as excited, as forward-looking, as hopeful. This is not a town that we would characterize as joyful. And when people come into church on a Sunday morning, and maybe this is you I'm talking to today, you're coming to church, maybe not to check a religious box, because this isn't an overly religious town necessarily. I truly believe the reason many of you came here today is because you are looking for a little spike in joy. Am I right? We come to church because the world beats us up Monday through Friday, maybe Monday through Saturday. And we come in on Sunday morning, and we need a little joy back into our lives. It's like drinking a rock star. I just need a little hit of joy. And I'm going to hit that crash on Monday, and I'm going to struggle through Tuesday. Wednesday gets here. If I can get myself off the couch, I'll come back to church Wednesday. It's like a little spiritual Red Bull. It'll kick me up for a little while, and I'll crash, and maybe by the weekend I can get myself back here. But I'm just searching for joy, and I'm not finding it. What the world will tell you is that joy is found like this. Have a little church and a little ministry. Have a little relationship with Jesus, but don't be fanatical about it. Don't let it take up your whole life. Don't let it be everything you're about. Have some Christianity in moderation, but make sure you've got your life outside the church so that you don't get burnt out, so you don't get tired. Make sure that you don't spend all your time and all your resources in the kingdom because, man, God's kingdom will wear you out. God's looking to take from you. So make sure that you balance it with the world's kingdom because the world's kingdom is what's going to restore your joy and restore your hope. And church, the more we go out there looking for it, the emptier we come back when we're done. Every time we take vacations and we spend thousands of dollars and when we come back, you know what we say on Monday morning? I need a vacation from my vacation. I'm exhausted. Perhaps... Some of us have bought into the lie that the enemy tells us that working in the kingdom and pouring ourselves out on the altar of Jesus Christ as an offering, as a sacrifice of praise, isn't going to empty us out, it's going to fill us up. Maybe some of us need to hear today that the key to your joy is not more leisure time, it's not more family time necessarily, although those are good things. And it's important to have them. But truly, the key to your lasting joy is faithful ministry. These men came back with these talents. I had five here, I made five more. I had two here, I made two more. Here's what the master said to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
you were faithful over a little, I'm going to give you much. Enter into the joy of your master. Some of you this morning are seeking joy, and you're not going to find it where you're looking for it. Where you're going to find it is when you get plugged into a local church and you start serving the Lord. That's where you're going to find your joy. Number two, big victories are born from small victories. Some of us today have a big thing in our lives that is a mess that we need fixed. Don't raise your hand, but for some of us, that's the case today. There are big messes in your life. Perhaps it's addiction. Perhaps it's a family problem. Perhaps it's a marriage issue. Perhaps it's financial. Many of us today have a big thing that we need victory in. And we're waiting and we're praying and we're working and we're searching and we're hoping and we're pleading with God, give me victory in this big thing. We have a guest this morning. I don't want to embarrass him, but i got to tell this story real quick because it illustrates it perfectly. There's a man here named Jared Sexton. And I've known this man for a while now, and he had a big thing in his life that was sitting on your shoulders for a long time, didn't you? And he needed victory in this big thing, or his life was going to be completely radically changed in a negative way. And I don't want to tell the story because this is his story to tell, not mine. But if you know him, I want you to ask him about it. He'll tell you. What I know about Jared is that while he was praying and waiting for victory on this big thing that he had no control over, you know what he was doing in the meantime? He was being faithful in the small things. If church was open, he was at church. The plate was going around, he was giving. If ministry needed to be done, he was serving. If his wife needed a husband, he was her husband. If his kids needed a dad, he was their dad. He didn't say, you know what, I can't serve, I can't be a good husband, I can't be a good dad, I can't be a good Christian because I just can't get my mind off this big thing that's sitting on my shoulders that i got to deal with. I need victory here before I can be faithful over here in the little things. A lot of us this morning will make excuses for why we can't be faithful in the little things because we're so distracted and weighed down by the big thing, but the illustration we find from Jesus is that if you want victory in the big things, start being faithful in the little things. You want victory in the big things, you start controlling what you can control. You see, perhaps God hasn't fixed your big problem yet because you don't yet trust him with your small problems. That might be what you're missing. I hope that's for you today. Number three, I want you to see this. The master divided the talents. This is interesting to me. In the American church, we do church like this. Let's find the best-looking, most gifted, most charismatic people, and let's elevate them and put them on a pedestal. Let's give them authority. Let's give them leadership. Let's give them a platform. Let's put money into them. Let's invest in them, and let's let them lead us into spiritual prosperity. And if our church is going to be successful, that's the kind of pastor we need. And if my ministry is going to be successful, that's the kind of leader I need. And we worship gifting rather than the giver. And we invest all of our spiritual resources in the big, really gifted people like Bernie Cowgill or Pastor Brian or Ryan. But the truth is, if you think about it, if this master wanted the biggest return on his money, he, he divided eight talents out. If he wanted the biggest return, if he wanted to get eight more talents back, the best thing he could have done would have actually been to give all eight of them to the first guy, right? This first guy was the most gifted. He, was, he had the most ability. He said that he got five talents according to his ability. If the master wanted the biggest return on his investment, he could have told the two-talent guy and the one-talent guy, hey, you guys are great and all. What I need you to do is be quiet, show up, and pray for this guy, and I'm going to put all my resources into him, and let's watch him do this work, and he's going to double my empire. 
He's going to double my business. But it's amazing to me that the master, knowing full well that the two-talent guy wasn't as gifted as the five-talent guy, and the one-talent guy wasn't as gifted as either one of them, he still divided the resources out. And he put expectations on each one of them. Now, this is important because this is not how we arrange ministry in America. Most of us do church like this. I'm not gifted. Pastor Brian is. So what I'll do is I'll come and I'll show up and I'll support emotionally and I'll support physically and maybe I'll support financially. But when ministry needs to get done, you don't want me involved because I'll just screw it up. So, Pastor Brian, I'm just going to support you and your team, and you guys go get it done, and I'll sit back here, and I'll clap for you while you do it. That is not the way God intended his church to function. The reason he gave the first guy five and the next guy two and the last guy one is he didn't want guy number one doing all the work. He wanted to divide it amongst what they were able to do, and he wanted everybody involved. You see, the church is not a business where the business with the best CEO has the most success. The church is a body that we are all a functioning part of. And you have been made a functioning part of the body. And no, not everybody gets to be the mouth. Not everybody gets to be the eyes and see the vision of where God is taking us. Some of us have to be the working hands and the walking feet. Some of us have to do some of the dirty work. And it's not always pretty. But the thing about it is that if you do it faithfully, whatever God's gifted you to do, what you will find, number one, is your joy. And number two, is your blessing that you're looking for. Be faithful in little things, he'll bless you in the big things. You're searching for joy, you'll find it, not in the world, but in his kingdom and doing the work of his kingdom. And finally, I'm accountable for what's entrusted to me. I'm accountable for what's entrusted to me. Has God given you resources today? I know we're not all preachers. But is there something you can do? Is there something you can do? This week, Pastor Brian mentioned we needed a wall built in one of our life kids rooms for life academy we needed another classroom we had one big room it was really too big so we needed two smaller rooms that are one big room so we needed the wall built and believe it or not as gifted as pastor brian is he is not gifted with a hammer he's just not he's not gifted going to lowe's and buying sheetrock and studs i can guarantee it in fact you tell him to go find studs he just calls me and ryan that's what he does it's the best he knows <laughs> all right Here's what worked out so well this week. The gifted ministers that everybody puts their trust in, we were running around like crazy going, oh my goodness, we got to have a real man build this wall for us. <laughs> my wife was at home saying, honey, is that wall going to get built? I'm like, you, you want me to build it? She's like, no, of course I don't want you to build it. I want a man to build it. we got to find some men. So we got on Slack, our, our group messaging thing, and we sent a message to all the men and said, men, can you build a wall? And praise God, about six or seven of them stepped up, got it done in two days. Wall got built. You say, well, that's not a big deal. That's not as important as preaching. It is to my wife, and it is to those children in Life Academy, and it is to those parents whose children come to Life Academy. You see, here's what you don't know. We have parents that are trying to send their kids here, but we don't have room for them. And the reason we don't have room for them is we don't have enough classrooms. That wall gave us another classroom. Because a few men were faithful to build a wall that nobody saw in the middle of the work week, now some more kids are going to get to come to Life Academy. And perhaps they'll get saved. And if those kids get saved, it won't be because me and Brian are gifted ministers. It'll be because some faithful men did the work that needed to get done. That's what the kingdom looks like. Let's talk about the one-talent guy. we got to get this thing wrapped up. 
In verse 24, he also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's important. If you have a highlighter or a pen and a paper Bible, I'd encourage you to underline it. If you don't, I would encourage you to make a mental note of it. Save it in your phone, whatever you do. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, underline that, I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. I knew you were a hard man, a rough man, difficult man to please. I'm not very gifted, and this is just my paraphrase. This is what your Bible says. Master, I knew that I couldn't do what these other guys can do, and I know that you're hard to please, and nothing's ever really good enough for you, and you're kind of an angry, gruff, rough around the edges, Master. And frankly, when you entrusted that to me, it kind of freaked me out, and I got scared. And because I was scared... I took that thing you gave me and I hid it because what I was afraid was going to happen is that I was going to get out here and I was going to try to do the work and I was going to blow it. And you were going to come back and you were going to expect a return. And not only was I not going to have a return, I wasn't even going to have the money you gave me in the first place. I was scared to death. So here's what I did. I took it and in my fear, I hid it. I was afraid, so I hid. I saw something in the Bible this week that blew my mind. I saw something that blew my mind. I was afraid so I hid. I couldn't get that off my mind as I read it. And I went back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are enjoying the perfect loving character of God their father. Every day they walk in the garden with him. Face to face they get to see him. Talk to him. Imagine what that must have been like. And in a period of time where God wasn't physically with them, the Bible says the serpent entered the picture and began to cause them to question the character of God. He began to say things like this. Did, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of that tree? Well, yeah, God said we're not supposed to eat of it. We're not even supposed to touch it. Well, well, listen, here's the deal. God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because there's things about God you don't know. Again, this is a bit of a paraphrase, but stay with me. There's things about God you don't know. You see, God is actually really jealous and insecure. And what God knows is that if you eat of that tree, you're going to become just like him, and he can't handle it if you're just like him. You're going to know everything he knows, and you're going to be just like God's yourself, and he doesn't want that for you because what he wants is to control you and to use you. So they looked at the tree. The Bible says they saw that it looked good to the eyes. It looked good to eat. The woman took it and ate. She gave it to her husband also, and he ate. And immediately they ran and they hid. In verse 9 of Genesis chapter 3, God comes down into the garden. It's time for his daily walk with his people. He called out to the man, where are you at? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden. Look at this. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid, so I hid. The lie that produced the fear that caused the hiding was the lie that God is not for you. And if you're obedient to him, he's just going to use you and wear you out. And you won't have joy, and you won't have peace, and you won't have blessing. God is not for you. And when we hear that that is the God that's calling us to something we don't yet understand, it scares us. And many people today, they call themselves Christians, but their Christian life is characterized by fear and hiding. I want to talk to the person today 
You're here. You're here. But there's a wall built up. You don't let anybody in. You're sure not going to let a church in. I don't know what that was. Maybe spiritual warfare, I don't know. If you weren't scared and hiding, you are now. I want to talk to the person who's scared and hiding. They say, I'm not scared, I'm at church. No, I know you're at church. There's a man that's come to our church before. I won't share his details, share his name. He comes to church, but whenever the word of God begins to get spoken, he detaches, starts to squirm in his seat, can't sit still, gets up, walks out, falls asleep, whatever he can do. He comes to church, but man, when the word of God starts to speak, he gets real uncomfortable, and he goes into hiding. You know why? He doesn't yet understand the character of God. He doesn't know that God's for him yet. He doesn't understand that God loves him yet. This morning in this room, there's some people you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're hurting, and you're afraid, and you're hiding. And when the response time starts, you're going to have that burning in your soul that says, I need to come forward, and I need to be obedient. I need to get started. I need to do what God's telling me to do. I know it, but you're going to have that voice inside your head coming from the darkness that tells you, you don't have to do that today. You can't trust these people, and truly, you can't trust this God who's calling you. You're going to step out, and you're going to blow it. He's going to entrust you with something. He's going to give you expectations. This God, he's going to want things from you, and you're going to blow it just like you blow everything else. And when God comes calling for you, you're just going to be a failure. And you don't have to be a failure. You can show up to church, but all you got to do is hide from God. Build a wall up. Don't let God in. Don't let Jesus in. Don't let the church in. Don't get involved. Just show up. Check the religious box. You'll be happy. You'll have a little world. You'll have a little church. Everything will be fine. Don't you let anybody in and hurt you. Don't you let this God demand from you. And some of us this morning, we're going to hear it, and we're going to believe it, and we're going to go home, and it's going to be just the same, and we're going to have that nagging conviction in our soul. I know God is calling me, but man, I'm scared to just say yes and be obedient. Will you hear him today? Understand something. The reason the man hid the talent is because he misunderstood the character of God. When the servant came to the master and the master said, let's settle accounts, he said, listen, I know you are a hard man. Can I give you the truth today? God is not looking to punish you. God is not waiting for you to fail so that he can call you out and embarrass you. You say, how do you know that? I know that because the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, the reason that we don't have to be punished when we fail our God is because God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to take that punishment for us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your failures with him to the grave. And when he got back up, he left them in the grave, and he didn't bring them with him. And God is no longer looking at his children saying, you're not good enough. You don't work well enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not talented enough. He's not looking for that. He just wants us to step forward and say, yes, God, I'll be obedient to whatever little I can do. You give me one talent, I'm going to do something with this one talent. You give me two, I'm going to do something with this two. You give me five, I'm going to do the best I can with these five. This morning... This church is operating under the 80-20 rule. You know what the 80-20 rule is? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's true in almost every church in America. 
And the reason the 80-20 rule exists is because the 80% has bought the lie that the 20% are the only ones capable. It's not true. They bought the lie that you're not good enough. We need you today. We need you today. God's looking for you today. Let's finish this up. I'd like to ask the band if they can come forward and get ready. We're going to have a time of response. We see in verse 25, the man says, I was afraid, so I went and I hid your talent in the ground. And he gave it back to the master. Here, have what's yours. Verse 26, his master answered him. Stay on the scripture with me for just a couple more minutes. Master answered, you wicked and slothful servant, you reap what I, where you do not have sown and you gather where you've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents, and for everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And church, this is scary. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the part of the Bible that nobody loves to talk about. Nobody loves to talk about this. It's not fun. It's not exciting. It's not welcoming. It's not inclusive. It's not self-affirming. It's not socially conscious. But it's in the Word of God, so it's true. I told you at the beginning of the message that the purpose of this scripture and the purpose of this message is to prepare you for the test that's coming. All eyes on me for just a moment as we close. I'm going to step down front. I told you when we started, there's a test coming. Day's coming for all of us, and it's going to look one of two ways. If Jesus comes back, we're all going to be called up at the same time, and each of us are going to stand before God. And just like the master who came to settle accounts with the servants, it's going to sound something like this. I entrusted you with something. What did you do with it? And I believe that there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of moral people, a lot of religious people, a lot of well-dressed people, a lot of well-educated people, a lot of well-intentioned people, a lot of nice people who are going to stand before Jesus. And here's what they're going to say. I thought all you wanted was a prayer and a baptism. I thought that's all you wanted. I thought what you wanted was a prayer, a baptism, church membership, and 10%. I was told that's all you wanted, Jesus. And there's going to be a lot of people on that day that I fear are going to stand before God. God's going to say, no, I didn't want your stuff. I didn't want your boxes checked. I didn't want your sacrifices. I wanted you. I wanted your heart. I wanted your obedience. I entrusted you with the word of God, the good news of my son, Jesus Christ, sent for you, died for you, rose again for you, went before you, obedient for you, so that you could walk in newness of life, so that you could do things, so that you could help people, so that you could make a difference in the world far beyond what exists in the material world, so that you could see people enter into the kingdom of heaven and be transformed, not just for a few minutes or for a few years, but for eternity. Jesus is not merely looking for a prayer and a dunk in the water, and then we check the box and say, we got that done, we're good with God, I'm going to go live my life however I want to. No, Jesus is looking to call you out and to do something in you. 
And some of you this morning, you know it. You felt it for a long time. But you don't know what it is and you're scared. And I understand that. I understand the unknown is scary. I understand the fear of failure is scary. Maybe this morning, you need to join this church. You've been a church attender for a long time, but you've never plugged in and gotten connected and gotten active and gotten accountable. Maybe this morning, you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know some things about him. You know some of what the Bible says. You've gone to church. You, you know some things, but you know in your heart, you know what, I've never done this thing right. I've never given my life to Jesus. I believe there's people in this room this morning. You're hearing my voice right now, and you know he's talking about me. He's talking to me. This is me he's talking to, and I don't want to because it's scary and it's embarrassing and I don't know what people will think about me if I stand up and I walk forward and I say that I want Jesus to be my Savior and I don't know if I'm good enough I don't know if I'll mess it up I don't know if I'll screw it up you know what what I really want to do this morning is I want to just take these feelings and I want to hide them because I don't want to do anything with them because my fear of failure is a little bit crippling to me right now understand this morning you may not have another opportunity to say yes to Jesus and if you stand before him minutes or hours from now and he says, why didn't you do anything with what you had? And we say, Jesus, I was scared. It's not going to be good enough. Fear is no excuse for disobedience. I know that's a hard word, but we got to preach it today because our community needs it. Our country needs it. We've normalized fear and anxiety long enough. We've accepted it, we've medicated it, we've adopted it as an identity, and now we just live with it like it's normal. It is not normal in the kingdom of God to live a life characterized by fear and worry and solitude and hiding. Jesus is calling you out. Don't live like that for another day. Understand, we're not looking for your money. We're not looking for all your time. We're not looking to stress you out. Jesus, your master, is looking for your joy. And he's looking for your blessing. You want victory in the big things. Today's the day to start being faithful in the little things. Say yes to him today.